And this week's 51%, how's your love life? We step into the office of Vanessa Beaver, a licensed marriage and family therapist in upstate New York, to learn how we can better communicate, make amends, and ground our relationships through couples counseling. So in every relationship, you're going to rupture things at some point, and you're going to repair them. Rupture is expected. It's healthy for all of us to do. I'm Jesse King. It's all up next on 51%. I was standing around like one of those girls I had seen in a movie. The whole world was a movie back then. I had my sunglasses on. I wanted to be seen without seeing Shiloh Alita. I wasn't really in it. I didn't really get it. You're listening to 51%, a WAMC production dedicated to women's issues and experiences. I'm Jesse King. Thanks for tuning in. Last week, we spoke with gender expert and author Kate Mangino about how couples can more equally divide household work and child care and how to navigate conversations about gender roles in the home. But that's not even the tip of the iceberg when it comes to the issues we can face in our relationships. Full disclosure, I'm not married, but some of the most common beliefs you hear about marriage, whether you agree with them or not, are one, communication and trust are vital to keeping it going, and two, marriage is a beautiful thing, but it's not easy. So where can you find help with everything else? Vanessa Beaver is a licensed marriage and family therapist with her own practice, Capital District Marriage and Family Therapy in upstate New York. Beaver's specialty is actually helping families navigate the diagnosis of developmental disabilities like autism, but she also regularly sees couples to help them reconnect, communicate their needs, and hopefully get back on track. I got the chance to stop by Beaver's offices in Clifton Park. It's a calm, bright space with shelves of books and dinosaur figurines for her younger clients. She's got tea waiting the minute you walk in the door, and Beaver says it's all by design. While more and more people feel comfortable going to therapy and discussing their mental health, there is still a lot of stigma and misconceptions around couples counseling. That it's the beginning of the end, the sign of a failed relationship, or the first step to divorce. But Beaver says that's not necessarily the case. Counseling can be a great help at just about any point in a relationship, and her hope is to make couples more comfortable with it. So take a seat, get comfortable. Here's my conversation with Vanessa Beaver. What advice do you have before they actually start their sessions? I think some of the logistics are important. So even just a couple before you go to make an appointment, like what do our schedules look like? Is going to a weekly appointment or a biweekly appointment going to add more stress to us, to our family, to our needs and demands? Do we both have really difficult schedules? Our finance is a struggle. How are we going to pay for the cost of therapy? You know, like insurance. Are you looking to use insurance? Because sometimes people set out to look for the perfect therapist and then kind of bypass some of the things that are really important. Like, you know, that person that you think is really wonderful is really their fee is this and they see people actually twice a week and so all of those things tend to really then make it challenging for a couple to kind of fit into their box or that therapist that you love only has morning appointments and you and your partner need evenings because or weekends because of your work schedules so I think those are the main ones it's like scheduling logistically speaking scheduling finances and insurance (laughs) Um, before you talk with the therapist. And then there's the other factors, which are like compatibility. 
So we know that people do better in therapy when they feel heard and understood by their therapist. And there are factors that make it harder for me to feel heard and understood. Let's say I'm someone who's bicultural. And if I go to see a therapist, I want them to know something about my culture and about where I come from. Maybe a therapist that's their office is in this place, I'm going to have certain assumptions about that person and that they can't relate to maybe my struggles and what I've been through. And that kind of becomes twofold when it's a couple because it's two people, two separate sets of like what may make one person feel really comfortable makes the other person really uncomfortable. So even just like compatibility wise and understanding that if both of you aren't feeling comfortable with that person, it's not going to work. So we both need to feel comfortable there. And then the third would be my mindset going into it. So there's this tends to be this assumption of like I um, have to kind of prove myself or there's like a right or wrong person or I'm right they're wrong and we've got these issues and this person's going to help us see which one is the way to go Mm -hmm. I'm there as a neutral party to help the two of you understand each other and come to your own conclusions about your values and where you want to take things in your life I'm not here to tell you how to move forward directly like hey this is how you need to parent your kids per se you know there's lots of different styles and it's about what works best for the two of you and your children yeah it sounds like you know you're not there to decide their arguments and to be the judge exactly (laughs) yes that's a lot of the mindset that can kind of permeate before they even get to session and it creates an environment in which couples can kind of attack each other a bit or like pull out things that are shortcomings in one another and highlight those as proofs of you know this and that so those first few sessions what is your usual approach to those My first and foremost is to build a relationship to see if I can have some sort of like understanding with each of the individuals. And I like to do that by starting off with separate sessions. So I let couples know in our initial phone call that we're going to be meeting separately. And part of the reason is so that I get to know each of you and each of you in your comfort zone. And I get to talk with each of you about how are we going to go into that session? What things do you want to bring up? And kind of frame it a little bit in like, this is how I would bring this up. It also gives me the opportunity to have really a lot more containment over it so that I know how can people self-soothe, how do people kind of help themselves through a difficult situation because sometimes couples therapy can be a difficult kind of tense environment. And so how are you going to navigate that? And if I have a little bit more understanding of that person beforehand, it's easier to do that than in the moment once they're there with their partner and we're going into active hot topics. Yeah. What do you feel are some of the biggest stressors that impact a relationship? I would say the most common ones that I I hear are finances, work, and child rearing. Mm -hmm. There's some element usually of these. And that's apart from when there's a presenting stressor, there's a new diagnosis or some kind of crisis that's presented itself recently. That's also a common reason why people come to therapy but those are the common ones. Do you have some general like tips and methods for couples who are struggling to communicate their needs or to maybe have the conversations that they need to get through these stressful events? 
Yeah, I think that piece that you said about like we need to get through it, there tends to be somebody in the relationship who's like we need to address these problems, we need to address them head on, right? Whatever the problem may be. For couples, what I find that's most beneficial is like what brought us together in the first place and working towards some time that we can spend together to reconnect and be able to have a friendship, have fondness for one another, have admiration for one another, and working on those types of skills versus just like problem-solving skills where we're addressing really difficult issues or even light issues. 69% of like couples' conflicts are never resolved. People get really flooded when they talk about things that are difficult for them and, and a stressful thing in their relationship and something they've encountered for years or maybe months or however long. So even just starting there with like 69% of the things that we are going to encounter and argue about or, or mull over, we're not going to get at a fundamental resolution on, right? So sometimes a lot of a couple's energy is spent on those things that are not going well, right, on on these issues. And there's different ways in which people bring up these topics. And there's problematic ways in which they do it, right? And then there's helpful ways in which they do it. Criticizing, attacking a a partner, those are common ways, you know, he does this or she does this or they do this. And then using those... um, all or nothing, right? This is all of the time that you do this. You never do this. When you present a topic like that, you're likely to trigger that other person's defensiveness, right? Like they're not going to then accept what you're saying and and hear under it, oh, my partner wants my attention at times. What they hear is the criticism of you're always on your phone. Are there situations though where it's healthy to argue? Is there a, a right and a wrong way to do it? Okay, so yes, there, there's definitely healthy, yes, acceptable. So one of like my favorite things that I learned through my programs was this idea of rupture and repair. So in every relationship, you're going to rupture things at some point, and you're going to repair them. So rupture is expected. It's, it's totally something that is healthy for all of us to do. And are there ways in which we can argue and hurt each other and maybe even go to a place in which you're rupturing then trust because maybe you're going into kind of really low below the belt you know people will say that and sometimes it can almost look like a the qualities of like what abuse looks like right somebody really putting you down somebody who knows the most about you who knows you the most intimately and is also saying the cruelest things about you in the moment so being mindful of that right like if my approach in arguing is to try to resolve a problem then how am I going about that? Am I going about that by criticizing and putting my partner down? Am I going about that by asking for what I need? That's a healthier way, right? Making I statements saying, this is what I need, this is what I'd like. I like Gottman. So the Gottman Institute is a great resource for people and it it has a lot of online information. They've done a lot of research on couples and marriages and they have this thing called the four horsemen of arguments, right? And it's nice. It's quick and like these four pillars. So if you're doing these four things, like one of these four things, it's not really as conducive to problem solving and understanding each other. And, you know, even just 
feeling heard and understood. Sometimes, obviously, we're not going to always come to a conclusion, but you want to feel heard and understood by your partner. So the four horsemen would be criticism, contempt, defensiveness, and then the fourth, which is the most problematic, is stonewalling. And so stonewalling is just, I'm just shut down and I'm unavailable to you whatsoever. Like you're talking, you're talking, but you're not getting anything back from me. And stonewalling is most highly linked to divorce and separation for partners because a relationship can't usually tolerate that for very much amount of time without kind of something happening. What do you do if your partner is a stonewaller? Like, is it possible to break through the wall? Or is it something where they have to be willing to do it on their own? It's always collaborative, right? People be mandated or forced into something, right? That's usually doesn't feel good for Mm -hmm. people, right? So it's more like, if I notice that my partner shuts down, and they really wall me off when we're having difficult conversations. First of all, it's having the conversation outside of it. So don't call it out necessarily when they're doing it. That's another degree of kind of like vulnerability, right? If I'm, if I look nervous and then you tell me I look nervous, that's right. (laughs) It's really exposing too, because you don't know that that person has the insight into that, that they might be aware. They might not know that they're over flooded and that they're shutting down. They might just be trying to kind of grapple with like, well, I got to stay in this. My partner needs to be heard. So I need to be here, right? So talking about outside of it, Like, I wonder what's happening for you when we had that conversation. How were you feeling? Asking questions versus making necessarily like the observation of like, you seemed this way, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And ask how they're doing and if they'd like some help around it. And oh, something you could share is if somebody does feel over flooded, we know in research that a 30 minute break is really so crucial to just regulating our central nervous system and being able to actually effectively communicate because when we're flooded, we don't have access to all parts of our, you know, problem solving brain and being able to be empathic and, and even humorous, which is a helpful tool in problem solving and connecting. You don't have access to all that stuff you're just kind of in more of that fight or flight and your heart rate is you know when we hook people up and there's enough research on this that they are physically in a stress response Um, so something like a 30 minute break it doesn't mean that you're forgetting about arguments or that you're leaving things by the wayside it means that you're really being proactive to try to have constructive time together I think one of the biggest issues that a couple might have to navigate or what can really rock a relationship is infidelity. And I feel like there's a lot of debate over what infidelity even looks like. So I know it's a pretty big subject, but just to start off, I thought we could talk about like what exactly is infidelity and how does it impact both parties? It's a rupture of trust, right? Whether it's been a physical interaction or just a virtual and distant interaction with somebody that feels like it has somehow put at risk our monogamy that we have, right? And our commitment to one another, that this is outside of what is okay behavior for one of the partners. And that's not always, like you said, it's not always something that is shared by both. So one partner can say, I don't view that as this, and the other can. But if one of the partners in the relationships feels like the um, trust has been ruptured, it's been ruptured for them. Mm -hmm. 
And I think any time that couples show up and they're trying to rebuild trust after, they go through a period of mourning because there is what you thought your life would be like and what you thought this person was capable and not capable of. And there is also, we are all human and things happen and we make mistakes and, you know, it's very respectable when couples want to come in and address something that is that sensitive and that difficult. What is the process of rebuilding that trust? Where do you, I guess, where do you even start with that? And how long does it take to get things back on track? Oh, that's, that's a loaded question. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I think that, you know, rebuilding trust is more of your day-to-day experiences. It's not that you're going back in and you're really doing the bulk of your rebuilding trust work in the therapy room. And I think that's pretty true for couples therapy or even individual therapy in general. You're there to get gain some insights and then what you're doing outside of it is much more important than what you're doing for that 45-minute period. So the process of rebuilding trust looks like a lot of accountability, a lot of responsibility, a lot more follow through. It might also look like for a couple um, going through what did the affair entail? What happened that ruptured that trust? And, and being really honest about all of the elements that occurred there and what the timeline looked like. But that's only a fragment of it. Sometimes couples can get really stuck or one partner can get really stuck on all of the details with the infidelity versus, like you said, there's a lot that has to happen with rebuilding the trust and your day-to-day acts and, and bids for a connection and communication from here on out that sometimes we can perseverate on the details of what happened. Um, and it's not always that helpful to you know, your daily rebuilding trust. I was wondering, yeah, because I feel like if you get stuck on the details, it, it stops you from moving forward. Yeah, and you're, you're reliving a lot of pain, too, mm-hmm. because it's it, it's your life, and each thing is a hurt for you. So it also kind of, if you spend the bulk of your time talking that through and, and working on that in therapy, it also is priming your mind to kind of be more alive in those moments. There needs to be some boundaries around it too. I guess this question can apply to beyond just romantic relationships and partnerships, but when we talk about having to apologize, how do we go about making a good apology? And I guess, do you have any advice for those who need to work on forgiving? Yeah, so a great apology is one in which you are accepting responsibility and you are not saying at any point it's for how you feel, right? Like, I'm sorry I made you feel that way is not a good apology. I'm sorry for what I did. I'm sorry that I spoke to you in that tone. I'm sorry that I was very distracted. I'm sorry that I did that thing. You own whatever it is you did and you're not apologizing for how maybe the person felt because it really diminishes their experience then. And then as far as forgiveness, that's a very personal thing, right? There's a right way to apologize, but there isn't necessarily a a great way to like, how do you forgive people, right? Because for some people, and that's part of the hardest thing to accept when it comes to infidelity, for some people, they can't move past it. 
they can't forgive despite their attempts they're unable to rebuild that trust with somebody and that can be harder if i've had trauma in my life where maybe i've had others kind of rupture my trust and it makes it really hard for me to take on this rupture of trust in my adulthood we're speaking with vanessa beaver a licensed marriage and family therapist with capital district therapy in clifton park once you've gotten comfortable and you've kind of gotten settled into the way you guys operate and stuff like how important is the concept of butterflies and the spark really and is couples counseling something that can help couples get back their spark yeah you know i think about like is the spark kind of like lust desire or like even just eroticism right Mm -hmm. which doesn't necessarily have to be the sexual kind but more like this like vitality or curiosity and things that make you feel really alive And I think it's important for all of us to have that in our lives personally and also in your relationship. That's my, right? That's my value. But somebody else might come in and say, I don't really need that. I want like a a Mm -hmm. solid life trusting partner who's going to be a great co-parent who I really, you know, have a lot of similarities with, who our families are compatible and we're geographically centered, right? Like people have all of these values for them. So if somebody in a relationship is saying, I'm missing those butterflies, right? And I want them back. Yeah, we have to validate that and see. And is couples therapy a place? Yeah, I, absolutely. It's a place where you can like kind of come in and just kind of neutrally look at like, when were the butterflies there? What did it look like? What, what did it feel like? When did you usually experience that? Was it after vacations? Was it when you were away? Was it when you guys were in college together, right? Like just three people kind of curiously looking back at this timeline of a relationship and seeing if there's elements and what we're missing exactly. Is it the spontaneity? Is it just our own kind of need for like desire for one another and longing? And maybe that happened more so when our schedules look this way and now we both work from home and our lives look this other way. But there's also other wonderful ways to do that. And I think couples, um, when you start to identify something like that, it can become like a little project. Like, uh, you know, me and you get together and figure out like, well, let's look at our relationship and what we're wanting. It doesn't always have to mean going into an office with someone else. Mm-hmm. Now, I guess that sort of almost segues into my next question. So what if you have a partner who is hesitant to go into an office and speak with a therapist. Maybe they think that they don't need it, or maybe that they are afraid of a stigma they have heard about therapy in the past. Nowadays, the wonderful thing is you can do so many things to work on your relationship from home without Mm -hmm. having to talk with someone specifically. There's so many like workshops or programs, even like a nine week improve your marriage program, right? Or for couples. And I mean, I'm, I'm sure that there's thousands of them, but there's really reputable ones that are, you know, based on research and have really great outcomes to them. So I think that those are great options for couples. You know, there's so many books. So if you're partner is not comfortable going in and being face to face with somebody else or even doing that virtual right like uh, we all log in and the therapist is there and we all log in at the same time even if that feels too much there's these other modes 
there's also just like talking through what are their misconceptions maybe and would they feel comfortable maybe talking with the therapist on their own and asking just quite free for all kind of questions every therapist is willing to consult with potential client and talk with them through any kind of reservations they might have and a lot of them are valid you're a stranger and I'm gonna tell you all of my intimate things and then I also don't have control over my partner and what they might share in that moment which may be even more revealing for me so there's also ways I think in having that maybe initial conversation with a potential therapist to also structure it so that the person does feel safe because there's something that is feeling kind of unsafe or unhelpful for them about that process. How can you get the most out of your session in the 45 minutes or to an hour that you have in the office? Your insight into yourself. So a lot of times with couples, our energy can be very easily used on kind of conceptualizing my partner and telling you everything that I already know about them and all about our relationship, right? Versus what do I know about myself in the relationship? What do I know that I need and that I want? And what do I want like kind of moving forward here? The other main thing too is how do I self soothe because I need to be able to go into these conversations and have a way to regulate my central nervous system so that I can be here fully and express myself and also listen and take in what my partner's saying and what my partner needs from me. And so I often tell people that doing some individual therapy along with your couple's work is really complimentary because it allows you to go back. And if your partner has shared something about you, you know, I notice that whenever we fight, you bring up that thing that happened 10 years ago and you hardly ever bring that up. And it's like, well, then you can go into your personal work and say, I I do keep bringing up this thing from 10 years ago, so perhaps it's not fully processed. And yes, they apologized for it, but it stayed with me in this way. Just for those who don't know, like, what are some common, like, self-soothing methods? Yeah, so self-soothing looks really different for most, but in general, it's just recognizing that you're flooded and overwhelmed. Maybe you're drawing a blank and you feel really disconnected or despondent or numb, or sometimes for some people it can mean like, okay, I'm fully in like a fight mode or like I'm overwhelmed with anger or I'm overwhelmed with sadness. So the main thing would be your breath. Your breath is there for you. So doing some deep breathing, um, even if it's just five to six breaths and you're just counting as you breathe in, counting as you breathe out, that really is like a very quick to kind of cue your central nervous system that whatever threat is there is, you know, uh, because that's what happens is our brain doesn't always know that the threat is not a physical threat and it kind of responds the same way. So it's just priming your body to kind of respond in a physical way. Um, Taking a break. It's important to communicate that, right? Like, hey, I'm going to be trying some self-soothing or I'm going to be trying something to kind of help myself to not get overwhelmed in conversation because couples can feel abandoned if you're just like, I need to take a break from this conversation. The other person might be like, well, isn't that convenient? <laughs> um, <laughs> like, we're coming back to it. <laughs> uh-huh, right. With the promise of like, hey, I'm going to collect myself and then I want to come back and be here with you and talk this through. And when you take that break, being mindful, right? If you just take that break and you disconnect and dissociate and watch a bunch of TV, let's say, or quick videos, 
that can be helpful, yes, but also know that like that's one tactic, right? Sometimes splashing some cold water on yourself, ice packs can help too to regulate. Like if you put something cold on your uh, neck area, that can really help. If you want to do like a short meditation or mindfulness exercise, they're so quick and easy. You can just pull them up on YouTube and you want it to be working through anger or working through whatever. Don't look up like just a regular mindfulness because those tend to be really neutral Mm -hmm. and I talk to people about like if you're picking things to self-soothe you want to pick them when you're not actually flooded so you want to do a little bit of prep for yourself here are the five things I'm going to try next time and kind of having some fun exploration with what things you naturally already like and make you feel good and make you feel better and relaxed bonus question are there green flags in a relationship how do we know everything is going great that friendship is there right like apart from everything else we share our desires personal desires for the future how we're doing currently how we're really doing how are you feeling about your job how are you feeling about your life overall how do you feel like things are going for you what things do you want to see more of what wishes do you have for the future for yourself maybe for other people in your life knowing those intimate things about your partner and having that kind of communication in which they're letting you know a lot of things that are very vulnerable for them is such a beautiful gold star for relationships accepting responsibility right um we show up to a date and i can say oh you're late and instead of like well i tried just like oh my gosh i'm so sorry i really wanted to be here on time but i'm not and i'm sorry i made you wait right Mm -hmm. just that like quick kind of like ownership of hey I did this wrong and you deserve better and I want better for you and admiration just like be really generous with your compliments for your loved one like we can't get enough of it right it's the same as we do with our kids right you catch them being good you catch somebody doing the things you like and you let them know you don't just smile you say wow I really I saw you out there doing the lawn work and it looked, it was a really hot day and I so appreciate you doing that for us and keeping our home in the way that we like. Vanessa Bieber is a licensed marriage and family therapist with her offices in Clifton Park, New York. Vanessa, thanks so much for taking the time. Thank you so much. This has been great. Thanks for joining us for this week's 51%. 51% is a national production of WAMC Northeast Public Radio in Albany, New York. It's produced by me, Jesse King. Our executive producer is Dr. Alan Shartok, and our theme is Lolita by the Albany-based artist Girl Blue. A big thanks again to Vanessa Bieber for providing her training and wisdom this week. To learn more about our guests and the topics we discuss on this show, check out our website at wamcpodcast.org. Next week, we sit down with cartoonist Kate Beaton about her new graphic memoir, and we hope you'll join us. But until then, I'm Jesse King for 51%. I was every single girl. I was nobody else. I was so sure of myself. I was 15 and a half. He was a hollow laugh. And I lost my cool somewhere along the way. The night met on the whole